welcome to the James River College Podcast. We hope that this episode encourages you in whatever walk of life that you are in. So grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks, and welcome home to James River College. Wow, that was, that was pretty cool. I think, I think we should do it again. You guys want to go again, you know? <laughs> you guys can take a seat, but thank you guys. That was awesome. Well, good morning. You guys are looking so good today. All right, guys. Man, I just want to start by saying Lorelai killed it. That's our freshmen, guys. We have such a talented class. I'm so excited. Anyway, but I love this house. I love everything that James River has gave us the opportunity to do, and I love James River College. I love the leaders that we get to serve under. It's incredible. So just to give you a little bit of kind of knowing where I came from, okay? I came from a very small town, right? It's called Norwood, Missouri, okay? Yeah, yeehaw is right, okay? Um, the church is bigger than my town's entire population, okay? Um, it's super tiny, right? All four years of high school, I competed in an organization called Future Farmers of America, okay? Yeah, Kate Bowler up here on the front, she knows, right? My first time uh, bringing Carson home to meet my family, I was terrified my mom would show him the trophy case of all of my FFA awards, you know? Um, but... I love this place. I love every opportunity that's given me. But coming to James River College, it was a mega, mega culture shock, right? And But right in, like the Lord gave me so many opportunities and the Lord confirmed over and over and over that this was exactly where I needed to be. And so I went through freshman year, had an incredible time. Sophomore year came around, I became an RA. Shout out to the RAs in the room, okay? I met my soon-to-be husband at James River College. 23 days, people, 23 days. And then um, later, after my sophomore year, I became on staff at James River College. Literally, the Lord has just shown me over and over again at his goodness and how I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And so I went home a couple weeks ago for um, my best friend. She's getting married, too. And so she had her bridal shower. And so whenever we were there, there was a lot of people from the community that I haven't seen since I left high school. And so they were asking, like, hey, what are you doing? I know you're working at, like, that big church in Springfield. What's its name again? The River? Yeah, you're working at the River. And so, um, but I was just telling them. I was telling them about my experience telling them about all the cool opportunities I've gotten. And one lady looked at me and she's like, man, Bailey, you've got it. Like, you've got it all together. You're all good, girl. And instantly, I had a moment of insecurity. And I had a moment where I remembered a time back to my freshman year. And honestly, I haven't shared the story with a lot of people, but whenever I came in as a freshman, right, it was terrifying for me. Total culture shock, not anything like I've ever experienced before. And, you know, a lot of you on move-in day, okay, you probably had the parents who were like, we show up early to everything. Move-ins at 11 a.m., we're getting there at 9 a.m., okay? Anybody else in the room have family like that? Yeah, that was my family. So my move-in time was 11 a.m., but we were there at 9 a.m., And so my mom, she was like, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and get in line. You know, we don't want to be late. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think I think I forgot something. So I'm just going to go into the price cutter parking lot and get it. She's like, okay, we'll meet you there. Pull in the price cutter parking lot. I put it in park and I start sobbing because I was so terrified to be taken like away from everything that I've known and be part of this new culture. And 
I grew up in an environment where people constantly told me that I couldn't do ministry as a girl. I couldn't do ministry until I was married. That was something that was just unseen, unheard of. And so I had a moment of fear where I was like, oh my goodness, God, I was just arguing with him. I was like, God, maybe I can't do everything you've told me to do. Lord, I don't have the confidence to step out. Maybe everything I've worked for, God, is for nothing. I don't think I'm supposed to be here right now. But whenever I introduced myself to all of you guys, the very first time you met me, I didn't walk up to you and be like, hey, my name's Bailey, the girl who cried in the price cutter parking lot. You know? <laughs> like, seriously. And most of you have probably never heard that story before, right? Because that was a moment in my life. And I am not defined by that moment in my life. But what the enemy likes to do in those moments that feel like they're defining moments, he likes to take them and make them a logical argument as to why I can't do what the Lord has called me to do. In our lives, we allow past experiences to make a reason why we should argue with the Lord. But if those moments identify us, that's where we cap. We can't go farther than that. And so if I would have allowed that moment to identify me, I never would have moved into James River College. I would have stayed in the parking lot and I wouldn't be on staff here today. I wouldn't have met my future husband. All these different things that happened. The enemy uses these moments and we start to tell the Lord why we can't. You know, I could have been like, God, you know, I'm still that emotional girl who cried in the parking lot a year ago. I can't be an RA, God. I don't have the confidence. Lord, I'm still that emotional girl who cried in the parking lot two years ago. How on earth can I be part of that staff? And so we find, we find ourselves arguing with the Lord in different things. And there's a passage in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 49 where he was arguing with the Lord. And I'm going to start at verse 3. They're going to put it up on the screen. It says in verse 3, and he said to me, Israel, you are my special servant. In you, I will be glorified. But I said, I've worked and I've served for nothing. I've used up all of my strength for nothing. Yet my rights I leave in Yahweh's hands and my just reward is with my God. And as soon as I read this, guys, the part about like the nothing, I was like, oh my word, that's me. God, I have had that argument with you so many times. And we can laugh. And we can look back at stories like that of like me crying in the parking lot, but it's not silly once it hits home. And we, whenever we see ourselves as that past moment, that defining moment, and some of you guys, you're in here and you're, you're having that argument with the Lord. God, this is the reason why I can't do that. God, do you know where I came from? God, I can't do that. And that leads me into my first point. Point number one, if you're taking notes, the Lord calls you by name and not by your self-definition. <laughs> I just heard Cooper in the back. Cooper, thank you for being my hype man. Verse one in Isaiah 49, which was before the verses that I just read, it said, Yahweh has called me as his own before I was born. He named me while I was still in my mother's womb. So ever since you were in the mother's, in your mother's womb, the Lord has called you by name. But we're so quick to argue back at that verse. And whenever I think back about other arguments that happened in the Bible, I think of Peter. Because Peter was someone who argued with the Lord a lot. And so in John 18, we come to the story of Peter. So Jesus is about to be arrested, to be crucified. And so before this moment, you know, the Lord has already told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And that was an argument with the Lord. God, no, I would die for you, Jesus. What are you talking about? And so they're in the garden. They're waiting. And Peter can't stay awake. But then here comes these soldiers. And in comes these guards led by Judas. And Peter, 
in the midst of his emotion and in the midst of his anger, he rushed towards the man who was a soldier and he cut off his ear. And this was the moment for Peter that quickly could have became a self-definition. But a lot of times I feel like we look over the other person's moment as well, the moment whose ear he cut off. And so John's gospel is actually the only gospel that mentions the name of this man. And I'll read you verse 10. It says, suddenly, Peter took out his sword and struck the high priest's servant, slashing off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. But whenever I was reading this passage, I noticed another part that I feel like I've never noticed before. It says, Peter took out his sword and struck the high priest's servant. So he wasn't a high priest, he was his servant. And so in this time, if you were training up to be a high priest, you would follow along with the high priest. You'd be doing everything you could. This is something that you would dedicate your whole life to be part of, right? And so in an instant, Peter took everything away this man had ever worked for. Because you could not go into the temple if you had a blemish. That's why there were people begging outside of the temple. That's why there were blind people outside and the story of the leopards outside of the temple. And so in an instant, Peter took away this man's calling. He took away this man's purpose, this man's destiny. And so in the midst of Peter's insecurity, he made someone else feel insecure. And there was a moment from, and it was a moment from Malchus where everything that he worked for had been taken away, but Jesus healed him in that moment and he did not let it define him. So in the midst of this man trying to arrest Jesus, he knew, Jesus knew the importance of this man's name. Jesus knew the importance of this man's purpose. He knew the importance of this man's anointing. And so instead of letting this man who was arresting him pay the price he deserved, he healed him. And instead of being known by a moment, instead of being known by a self-defying moment, he was known as a miracle. Students, you are not defined by the scars you carry. You're not defined by the brokenness that you feel. You can be in the lowest place possible, but the Lord still calls you by name, and he still sees your purpose. And that's not an excuse, guys, to stay in the lowest possible place, because that's not what we're called to do, but that should give you power in your heart to rise up and to chase after what God has called you to do. Because even in your lowest place, the Lord loves you and he's calling you out of it. You have to stop the enemy in his tracks from creating an argument in your heart for the Lord. Because it was never, never the Lord's opinion of you who changed, but it was yours. And that leads me to my second point. The Lord has never changed his opinion of you. Isaiah 49 in verse 1, it says, Listen to what I have to say, you islands. Pay attention to me, you who live in distant lands. Yahweh called me his own before I was born and named me while I was in my mother's womb. He gives me words that pierce and penetrate. He hid me and protected me in the shadow of his hand. He prepared me like a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Isaiah was so confident in what the Lord had called him to do. So confident. He was literally yelling, hey, you over there. Hey, you over there. Listen up to me. Listen to what the Lord has called me to do. But then it was, it was followed by verse 4. I said, I've worked and I've served for nothing. I've used up all of my strength for nothing. And there's something important that I want you to see here, that the Lord was never the one who spoke the doubt. It was Isaiah. The problem started whenever he started speaking the opposite of what the Lord speaks. 
And so not long after John 18, we find Peter in John 21. And so he's full of guilt. He's full of shame from everything that's happened. He's probably angry at himself. And so he went back to the only thing that he felt like was right, which was fishing. And so the Bible says that Jesus was walking across the beach, and the disciples didn't even realize it was him. And um, in that moment, in our moment, sometimes we can be so focused on ourselves, so focused on our disappointment, that we miss all that God's doing in our lives, guys. So whenever you're so focused on these moments, you feel like they define you, but you forget the one who really defines you. So in John 21, Jesus yells out to the disciples. You guys know the story. It's just like the first time whenever he called him. He was like, hey, guys, have you caught any fish? And they were like, no. And he's like, throw your net on the other side. And so they did it. And the Bible says that they pulled in so many fish that, like, it couldn't, the weight couldn't, they couldn't hold it. So Jesus, it's such a cool, cool part. Jesus, in the midst of Peter's disappointment, in the midst of Peter's failure, he brought him back to the first moment whenever he called him. Jesus wanted Peter to be full of the excitement whenever he called him the first time. He wanted him to not be defined as his last argument with the Lord or his last moment with Jesus. It was a moment like Isaiah 49 where he said, listen up, hey you over there, hey you over there, listen up to me because before I was born, the Lord called me. For some of you, you need to be reminded of the moment when the Lord first called you into ministry. Be reminded of the moment when the Lord first saved you. Because none of the moments have defined you in your life, but only the calling of the Lord over your life has defined you and your purpose and your life. The Lord never spoke doubt over you. The Lord never told you you couldn't do what he called you to do. And his opinion over you has never changed. But yet we still find ourselves in times when we argue with the Lord and we tell him, there's no way we can do what he's called us to do. God, I've worked and I've served for nothing. I've used up all of my strength for nothing. I want you guys to look at this. So this is a bouquet of flowers. Oh, and a really cute vase. Carson made me this vase. Shout out to Carson. And, um, but these flowers, whenever you look at them, I mean, they're not new. They're not pretty. They're wilted. They're dead. They're dying. They're dried. They're kind of an ugly excuse, a poor excuse for what a flower is supposed to look like. But we've all had moments in our lives where our faith looked like this, where our faith felt like this. And so um, I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony. So freshman year um, in the spring semester, I um, had a lot of pain in one side. And so I went to a doctor, and um, they actually discovered that they found a tumor in my body. And so, um, but the tumor was, it's a really long word, but to explain it, it's a tumor of the nerves. And so it was right behind my spine and it was completely wrapped in nerves. And they said, so there's two things that could happen here. They said, either we leave it and it could damage all of your nerves because it'll grow. They said, or we take it out and we have to move or damage some of your nerves and you probably won't be able to walk again. And I was like, dang, okay. But 
my friends and I, I had such a strong, awesome friend group. I had an, an awesome like group of leaders. I'd get videos in the hospital all the time of people who were on stage praying for me. I just had such a great community around me. I believed in faith. I was healed. And so I went into that next doctor's appointment, and my doctor was a strong atheist. He made that clear to me on so many occasions. And so I walked in, and I was confident, had a skip in my step, you know, and I had my CT scan. I was like, all right, doctor, give it to me. Come on, explain the miracle that God just did. You know what I mean? And he looks at me and he said, actually, we found another tumor that's three times the size. And in an instant, in that moment, my faith was completely crushed. And with what little faith I had left, I told my doctor, I said, well, I need another CT scan before I have surgery. And he's like, why? And I said, well, I want to pray. I believe that the Lord will heal me. And he laughed and he looked at me and he said, I want you to know that prayer might get you here, but prayer will never remove a tumor from your body. And my faith, the little faith that I had left was completely crushed. And so after that appointment, I was laying in my room and I had a bouquet of flowers on my desk from the hospital and I was looking at them. And it, but it was a moment where I was kind of like in Isaiah. I was like, God, I, I'm a disgrace for what a Christian's supposed to look like. God, I have no faith in my heart. I have nothing left, Lord. I have no faith you can heal me. God, I'm at the end here. And I was arguing with the Lord. I was like, God, there's no way I can do this. There's no way I can continue on. God, I'm dropping out of the RA process. Lord, I have no faith. Why can I be in a place that's completely full of faith when I have none? And this was my argument for the Lord of why I could no longer do what was too big for me, it felt like. But in the midst of my argument, I noticed in the bouquet that there was a yellow rose on the side. And it was a beautiful bouquet. It was very healthy. And, but the flower, the yellow rose, was dying. It looked like one of these. And I remember just kind of out of my bitterness, I looked at it and I said, what an ugly rose. And the Lord quickly spoke back to me and he said, but it's still called a rose. So I could give that rose whatever name I wanted to give it. I could define it in whatever way I wanted to define it, but still the Lord would never change its name. Still the Lord would never change the purpose of that rose. And so just like Malchus, the Lord knew his name. He knew his purpose. Just like Peter, the Lord knew his name. He knew his purpose. He knew Isaiah's purpose. He knew my purpose. He knows your purpose. And still no argument, no self-definition, no words from other people can speak into the purpose that you have and what God has called you to do. And so here I stand. I was never, like the tumor was never like officially removed from my body like in a healing way. I had to go through surgery, I had to go through this long process, but here I am and I'm standing, and I'm healthy, and I'm walking, and the Lord, I had a moment, I was telling um, some people about this this morning where I was praying before my sermon and I was going through it and I felt like the Lord convicted me and he was like, Bailey, in that season, you had such a strong argument of why you could not do what I was calling you to do because you were faithless. And I'm showing you today, as you're preaching in a college chapel, that that argument was pathetic. So this is just the beginning of what God has for me, which is my next point, because it's the beginning of what God has for you. Point three, you were created for more. Worship team, you can come on up. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon that I think they're gonna put on the screen. It's one of my favorite quotes. In it, he said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Our generation is quick to give an excuse as to why 
God can't use us. And for me, it was my scar. It was my fear that the things people had spoken over me, my childhood about ministry, that they were going to come true, that maybe I wouldn't succeed in that way. But whenever we allow ourselves to let these things wrap around us and crash in all around us, it starts to feel like waves are crashing in all around us, like we're drowning in our fears and in our doubts. And it reminds me of Peter again, whenever he was in the water and he was sinking in the waves right in front of Jesus. But whenever you read that story of Peter and you go through it, as soon as Jesus helped Peter up, he didn't go... (laughs) Jesus, that was a big wave there, don't you think? You know, I mean, I don't know if you could have stood against that wave, Jesus, you know. Peter didn't justify it. Peter didn't take his moment or the defining moment and justify it. He didn't say, God, you know, that was too big of a wave for me. No wonder I fell. I mean, I feel like a lot of times we try and justify why we can't do something. God, that calling is a little big. God, there's no way I can work with those people, Lord. Do you know who I am? God, you know what background I come from? God, did you know um, I was in the club for four years of Future Farmers of America. How on earth can I be in a city at a mega church? You know? We try and justify it. And I remember um, in that tumor season, Kaylee was um, one of my practicum leaders, and I was talking with her, and I remember before going into my final appointment, I said, hey, if I go into this appointment and I am not healed, okay, I feel like the Lord, you know, there's purpose to it. So if there's still a tumor there and I'm not healed, then I know it's for my doctor. My doctor has never seen faith before, so I'm going to be that faith for my doctor. He's going to see it in me. Maybe this whole season is for that doctor, and I'm okay with that. And I felt so good about that comment. And so I went into counseling with Kathy Keene. Gotta love Kathy. And I was like, man, that was such a good little thing. I'm gonna say that to Kathy too. I was like, Kathy, you know, I feel so good about this upcoming appointment. Um, Yeah. And uh, I told her everything that I told Kaylee. And um, she looked at me and she said, Bailey, you're trying to justify something that should not be justified. She said, you're trying to prepare your heart for the disappointment of not being healed. You have no faith left in your heart that you'll be healed, so you're trying to justify a reason why. My tumor, my sickness, was now an argument why I couldn't believe God for big things in my life. And so if you're in the midst of an Isaiah 49 moment of saying, God, everything I've worked for is for nothing, then and you feel like waves are crashing in all around you, that doubts and fears about your calling, about your purpose, about your anointing, that it's stopping you. You need to lean in and learn how to learn, learn how to lean in on the rock of ages. You need to learn how to kiss the wave that shows you that you need the Lord more. Kiss the wave that reminds you that you have to believe the Lord for big things. Kiss the wave in your life that reminds you that the Lord will have to make up the difference in your ministry. I think it's also important to remember that waves are a constant movement. It pushes out and then it comes back in. It pushes out and it comes back in. And so sometimes it feels like the waves push us out, but the waves were never pushing us out and keeping us out, but they always bring us back to the Father. Waves in our own lives are a constant movement back to the Father. The waves were never meant to question the father they were never meant for you to question the father but they were meant to just bring you really close to the father 
So in the midst of your wave, guys, in the midst of your argument of feelings, of defeat, the Lord always has an encouragement for you. In the midst of Isaiah's defeat, he had an encouragement for him. Because students, you are called to great things. And the Lord speaks the great things in these next verses. I'm going to read it to you. It says, it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and break those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And this is what the Lord say, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant of my people to restore the land, to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to say to those in darkness, be free. Students, you are called, you are equipped, you are going out, but you need to learn to kiss the wave of the thing that brings you closer to the Lord. And you can't, you can't keep making it an excuse of why you aren't called or why you aren't equipped or why you can't go out. So whenever you guys came in, you all had two pieces of paper on your seat, and I want you to grab those. <clears throat> on the first one, I want you to think of what your argument against the Lord is. What is your reason why you keep using that you can't fulfill the calling that the Lord has on your life? What is the thing that you keep fighting your purpose? Whether that's a sickness, whether that's home life, whatever that is, whatever your excuse to the Lord is, I want you to write it down on that piece of paper. But I believe that what we do physically is a representation of what we do spiritually. So I want you to take whatever that argument is. I want you to take whatever that excuse is and I want you to crumple it up. And there's some people who are gonna walk around and they're gonna pass around the buckets and I want you to throw it away. Because I want it to be the last time that you admit to that excuse. I want it to be the last time that you verbally or physically express that excuse in your life. But then with the other paper, I want you guys to take it and I want you to write down what it is that the Lord has spoken over your life. What is it that he's called you to do? What is it that he has promised you? What are some things that he's spoken over you in your life that you're equipped, that you're called? Maybe you're in here and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm called to youth ministry or kids ministry, but you know that you're called. You can write that down. That's enough to argue against what you've been saying. Whatever it is that the Lord has spoken to your life, write it down. And as soon as, soon as you're done with that, everyone can stand.
And if you need to finish writing it later, you can do that. But go ahead and everybody stand up. Because students, I need you to know today that you are not broken down by your moments. You are not defined by something that has happened in the past because what God has for you is so much greater. Today's moment is just the beginning of what God has for you. So this paper, hold it up. Let it be an anthem of what God has spoken over your life. Let it be something that hypes you up for the calling of the Lord. Every time you look at it, let it be a reminder of what the Lord has called you to do. Let it be your anthem. Let it be something that you speak over yourself in the morning because students, you're called. Students, you're equipped. Students, you're being sent out. You're ready to go because the Lord has called you. And in the midst of a moment where the enemy is trying to make you argue with the Lord, remember who defines you. Remember the one who has called you because I fully and confidently believe that the Lord will put people around you in your life that will affirm you because you were created for more. So let this be the confirmation in your heart. Let this be a declaration to the Lord. God, I believe you. God, I believe what you're gonna do. God, I pray over all the students in this room right now. God, I pray that these would be anthems in their lives. God, I pray that it'd be something that they would shout with exclamations of praise, God, to you because they believe in faith. God, that this is what you're calling them to do. God, let it be a moment of celebration. And God, let them believe that these moments in their lives, God, that they've been defined by before, that they no longer define them, but it's you that defines them, God. And let's celebrate with the Lord because what he has called us to do is so much greater than what it was your argument that you threw away. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Now apply what you have learned and go out and bless someone's face off.